Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi everyone and welcome to On The House, the Household Management Science Insights Podcast, produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with expert knowledge from professionals in the field. I'm your host, Gabriella Yastra, coming to you from Nam, Melbourne, Australia. Let's get started. Hi everyone and welcome back to the podcast. Today we're going to be talking about vermicosting for your home and garden with Liz Friesen, who is a passionate composter. Hi, how are you? Hi, Gabriella. It's so nice to be on with you today. Um, I've, I've just been so looking forward to getting to chat with you. So thanks for having me. Great. Before we get going, uh, did you want to introduce yourself a little bit more about a bit about your background or your experience? What got yeah. you into this? Absolutely. So my name's Liz Friesen. I use the pronouns she, her, and I am somebody who just loves learning those little quirky facts about our earth and environment. So from the time I was in grade school and and probably even before, I was running home and telling my mom, oh, we found this in the garden today. Oh, can we do a nature hike? I've just absolutely loved learning and exploring the natural world, which is a bit unique because I am born and raised in Los Angeles, California, here in the United States, which is a major metropolitan area with not a lot of green space. So I think that sort of set me up for my fields of interest. I studied environmental economics and policy at Michigan State University, but I also absolutely adore working with people, families, and children. So I actually pursued my master's degree in human development and family studies. This is a really fun opportunity for me to come under the premise, sure, of talking about composting, um, vermicomposting, so composting with worms, um, but also just a little bit about life, work-life balance, um, and, and this concept of being members of one big family here on planet Earth. So I'm super excited to talk to you today. Great. Yeah, that's um, it's great that you are bringing, I guess, all of the aspects that we want to bring into the to this podcast and to our company. Um, it's not just about the home, it's about the people who live there um, and making it good for everyone. Um, so before we start on the um, the main topic that we're talking about today, um, we're going to get to know you a little bit better with a section we call, Have You Met Liz? Um, so our first question is, uh, what's your favorite book? My favorite book is Only Joking, Laugh the Lobster. It's a children's book and I read it hundreds of times a day in a week. Um, and I just love to like laugh and get a little bit of comedy in the day. And um, it's also when I practice various accents with my little daughter, who's one. So, so it is one of those routines that brings me some sanity in the form of humor. Uh, that's lovely. And it's good that you, I'm guessing that you, you read this to your daughter. Yes, um, it's so... not my personal professional reading, only joking <laughs> laugh the lobster. And you can't find it anywhere anymore. I think it was published when I was a child. And so there's like three copies on eBay for hundreds of dollars. So oh, wow. I'm not encouraging everyone to run out and buy only joking laugh the lobster. 
and just sharing that it has a special place in my heart. Mm. Maybe they should reprint it and then everyone can read it. I think that would be fabulous. Mm. Um, is there a movie you've watched recently that you've enjoyed? I wish there were. I have been obsessed with the Wednesday Adams TV show and I mm -hmm. have not been able to sit for more than than 30 minutes in the last two years. Um, I, I really, really, really want to watch um, The Woman King, but I haven't had the chance. Um, but that's on my must watch list. I'm hoping to watch that before um, the Academy Awards. So we'll see if I make it in time. Good luck with finding some time. Um, so are you listening to any podcasts as well or no time for that either? You know, one podcast I actually love, it's called Couple of Things with Sean Johnson um, and Anderson East. She um, is a, a famous gymnast, an Olympic gymnast. Um, and she and her husband, um, his name's Anderson. I always think of that as a last name, but <laughs> she's Sean Johnson. He's Anderson East. Um, and they have two young children and I have a young child and they're both athletes. So um, it's interesting to hear about their athlete mentality. Um, and then they're both parents. So I've, I've really enjoyed listening to their podcast and just learning the way they bounce ideas off each other. Um, and they're very vulnerable about what goes well and what doesn't. And I appreciate that honesty. It, it took me a while to get into podcasts um, under this premise that we're always bringing the best version of ourselves. Or it would be like if you went to read and every time it was a self-improvement book. Podcasts were just giving me a headache. Um, and then I listened to their podcast and I really enjoyed like their open rapport with their audience. Mm. Yeah, some of my favorite podcasts are ones where you actually feel like they're just friends and mm -hmm. you're just listening in on them. Um, so that sounds like a really great podcast. Um, do you have a role model? Oh, I would say my role model um, is Dr. Lori Thorpe. She's a environmentalist researcher um, here in the U.S. at Michigan State University. And she created RISE, which is the Residential Initiative on the Study of the Environment. And it's a university program where students have all different majors. So they're all studying something different, but they're all getting a minor in sustainability studies and they all live in the same dorm. And it's a beautiful LEED certified building. So there's natural light and community gathering spaces, community kitchen. Um, it's just a wonderful community. And I got to be a part of that first cohort. And from then on, I've always been able to say, I wanna be uh, like Lori, like Dr. Thorpe, when, when I make it wherever that is. I, I wanna be a, a program leader, and just someone who's always incredibly warm with my colleagues and and hopefully my students. I I love teaching. I love working with with people who are interested in learning more. That's just a community that really captivates me. That's fascinating. This idea of I guess lots of different majors coming together um, into one space. Um, yes, the idea that you can have common interests mm. but not be doing the exact same thing because so many residential programs are say for pre-med or pre-law, you know, so you're all really tracking exactly the same. And that's so beneficial to have a cohort with the same goals. But what made this interesting was, was people who wanted to be doctors and lawyers and hotel managers and policy writers. 
And so we weren't all the same. It wasn't this homogenous group. We were able to really exchange ideas. Um, we had organic farmers. We had kids who grew up on traditional farms. We had students who were studying in the, um, the bioengineering labs and literally inventing new species of GMO potatoes, sitting next to the organic farmer um, and always getting in a healthy argument. And it was just a really beautiful way to learn about environmental subjects. Mm. Yeah, what a great initiative. And yeah, hopefully one day you'll get to do something like that. Yeah. I, I think you'd be really good at that. I, love, um, I, I just love learning. Like I yeah. think that podcast people bookworms, right? Like we, we mm. come here to learn about new things and connect with new people. Exactly. Speaking of learning, is there a recent course that you've completed or one that's inspired you? Yes, I'm actually really enjoying LinkedIn Learning has a lot of new resources and I've I've kind of been exploring seeing if it's a good place um, to pick up some new skills and perspectives. Mm -hmm. And there is an ESG course. Um, I'll be sure to give it to you so you can link it. It's for environmental, social and governance. And it's a standard of business reporting outside of profits. So that idea of what greater responsibility to society do businesses have beyond earnings? And that's sort of where ESG comes from. And this course gives excellent examples from business cases. So it tells you which companies are doing this well. And I've really enjoyed that because um, we hear so much of what companies aren't doing well or negative impact. And so to hear the instructors talk about um, they were talking about the trust that, um, I can't remember which investor bought it. I want to say Warren Buffett, um, but that the trust that the purchaser of Walmart had, they said Walmart's communications, sure there's controversial things with every company, but their communications around what they're doing with environment, social and governance issues are accurate. And they have this beautiful, like their reputation for that it is trusted and this isn't there is no single universal esg reporting system so every company's sort of writing their own annual sustainability or impact report and we don't know exactly what metrics to trust or go off of and so getting to hear about trusted companies for me was so exciting because when we're focused on living smaller or more simply or more environmentally consciously, we're, we're often working against large companies. That's just sort of how this thing goes. So for me to learn about some thought leaders in that space has been really um, inspiring and positive. Yeah, definitely. So I found, you know, personally, I'm trying to live a bit better and um, mm -hmm. it's often, it's like, I can't go to this shop, this shop, this shop, because I know that they're not good but then I don't know where to go instead. And often companies will advertise themselves as really sustainable, but then you look it up and they're not. So it's really great to hear that there is something out there to, I guess, help us and guide us. And yeah, I'll definitely be looking that up. Good. I, yeah, I hope you will. I've, I've really enjoyed it. And the professors are brothers, which uh -huh. I think is just a fun dynamic to deliver a course with someone you're related to is always, uh, a little bit more quippy and not so dry. So I've I've genuinely enjoyed it. Interesting. I'm not sure if I could do anything with my brother, but hopefully they got on okay together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, so how would you define household management? Household management. It is so fascinating just to think about that subject and its history. So for me, I'm more familiar with that in the United States. And when I think household management, I think home economics, which was one of the first fields of study that allowed women PhD candidates. Um, and that's what my master's program advisor was. She had her PhD in home economics because that's all she was allowed to pursue at the time. So I think you hear household management, and for me, immediately, that's tied to gender. Um, but when I sit with it longer and after enjoying some of the episodes um, that you guys have produced out of here, I really associated household management more with the ideas of peace and joy and functionality. So what can you do to set yourself up for a functional and peaceful environment? And I love that world, that word management, right? We always think of home. What makes you think of home? And it's such a sentimental word. But that word management, that's an intense word. That's an action word. And so hearing them come together, I think, I think for me, it almost feels validating because it can be so much work to have your home be a natural and warm place. And household management like reflects that, right? It reflects that work with an action verb. And I really appreciate that. Um, I know in my personal life, um, with bringing in a new member of the household, right? You have a baby, so you think of all these values. Um, I had my daughter, not this September, but last September. And you think, I mean, I thought about what values I wanted to raise her with. We thought logistically about doctor's offices and schools and almost forgot to think about this little tiny two-bedroom condo we live in because for us it was an afterthought you know we had figured out all the big stuff and we're just now getting to a point where we have systems that really fit with us um and i, I think it's true like everything comes in phases and so for me, household management, I think, is going to be ever evolving. And I'm finally getting into a beautiful and comfortable place with mine now. So I am grateful for that. Yes, I, I think something that I've learned about household management is it is always changing, as you said. Um, and it also differs between everyone, um, you know, what everyone needs um, in different households. Mm -hmm. um, but most of all, it's yeah, just, I guess, making sure that, as you said, the house is functional and that it works for everyone. Mm. Are there any, like, misconceptions people have about household management? Uh, yeah, I think that it doesn't exist, maybe. <laughs> right? <laughs> Forgetting that action verb management is on mm -hmm. there. Um, not everyone likes management. Not everyone aspires to work in management, right? Sure, some mm -hmm. people do. Um not everyone necessarily wants to, but if if we do, um, for me, it ties back to what you said, that you're trying to be more mindful and conscious about some of the things you're bringing into your home and your purchasing choices. Um, I know for myself, I found myself almost trapped by that mentality. Then the management of my home was becoming a task I couldn't keep up with. I couldn't do it in alignment with my values. Um, and it just sort of became this insurmountable anxious thing 
So for me, household management also aligned with mental health management and reality management and sometimes letting go of expectations that I can care deeply about our planet and our earth and our future and that I can still have, you know, what would be considered shortcomings and digressions from sustainable living. Um, the first huge loss for me as a parent was using single-use disposable diapers. And let me tell you, <laughs> I couldn't have done it. I just, it was simply not in the cards. So for me, looking at, you know, hey, how do we evolve that? How do we fix that? And always remembering gender and the importance of bringing all gender identities, gender values to the table. Um, if we think about gender and technology and science, right? Where's the badass woman diaper manufacturers? Hello? I want to see some female excellence in chemical engineering, getting on that instant pea absorption game and market, and I want a compostable solution. And I think some of that aligns with making sure that parents are welcome in the workforce, making sure that parents are invigorated at work, you know, letting people who live out these problems try and solve them. So it helps me to celebrate others, celebrate the wins. That's why I liked hearing, hey, a, a big box store was seen as trustworthy by an investor. That's kind of neat, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and accepting our wins for what they are to kind of protect our peace and our intentionality. Mm, definitely. I think as well, I guess, instead of trying to change ourselves um, to fit into yeah, a box and to fit into what we think everything should be is actually changing our environment and the organizations yes. around us to fit what our values are, I guess. Right. Mm. So uh, what is vermicosting? Vermicomposting. You've got it. So vermicomposting is composting with worms. And that might sound like the most peculiar and specific thing for somebody with quite a lot of things going on in life to talk about. But I am the number one fan of vermicomposting. And there are some people I would proudly defend that title against. Um, I think anyone who's learned about vermicomposting can become a little enthused and obsessed with it. So it's the process breaking down your food waste. Um, so that's what composting is, right? It's um, Composting, some people think of a big smelly pile on a farm, right? And it's this pile of um, garden waste, food scraps. So if you've been somewhere where instead of just throwing your food waste in the trash, you maybe scrape it off your plate into a bucket or into a separate container for composting. Now we're seeing compost bins in more coffee shops, etc. So we're seeing them more. And um, so vermicomposting, instead of letting those things break down and sort of rot naturally and become soil. We're letting them rot just a little bit so that they become tasty to worms, little wiggly worms, and those worms then eat it and excrete it, creating soil. So yes, P-O-O-P, that is worm poop, but we call that castings and it's a very nutrient-rich soil. And I love that it's an active process, right? There's active consumption and excretion. 
So instead of sort of almost waiting for the magic to happen of what we would consider a traditional compost pile or that hot, stinky compost pile out on the farm, we have this little tiny system that is remarkable for urban living. So growing up in Los Angeles, I, I didn't have a farm. <laughs> um, there aren't many. There's a couple and there's documentaries about them. So <laughs> there, there aren't many farms. There's not much connection with soil or your food. You know, food is something purchased at the grocery store, thrown out in the trash bin, and and that's that. So when I learned that you could have a bunch of living organisms in your home breaking something down, I naturally ran to my mother and asked to get some. And of course she said no, because <laughs> worms in our home wasn't going to happen. Mm. Um, I do have a question with yes. normal composting, yes, does that not have worms in it already? Like, surely all composting is vermicosting, has got worms in it? Or am I wrong there? That is a wonderful question. And it wouldn't be fair to call you wrong. Because I bet if you really looked, you could find one. And maybe one of those little bitty worms that are in fruits and vegetables and stuff. Um, but what this is, is it's red wriggler worms so kind of a tongue twister red wrigglers with a w and they're actually um not an endemic species so it's not the worms you would find um native or natural to an area if you were to say dig in the ground for them those worms aren't living in a big colony they're sort of spread out you see them when it rains they come up they've each been in their own happy little area aerating the soil wonderful natural process these red wriggler worms live in a colony um, there's also ghost worms is another colloquial term so it's a different type of worms that live together in a big mass um, and what that means is they can eat quickly enough to keep up with compost or food waste whereas those little individual ones are just not going to be working on a scale that would move through the waste effectively some people do a mix system where they put um, some vermicompost worms in their compost pile. Um, but that's what I more like to call kind of your creative flavor, right? You're already an expert. Say mm -hmm. you're a candle maker, right? You've mastered all the kinds of candle making. You want to throw in a little soy wax with your beeswax. Sure, you can try these things, right? It's, it's still a candle. Um, composters love to experiment with different um, types of composting and then different um, different ratios of, of nutrients. And, and what goes in the compost is largely what comes out. Um, so yes, there's, I want to be clear that there's no wrong way to do it. Mm -hmm. Vermicomposting um, in the home or outdoors or at scale is going to be with a type of worm that likes to be in a big, dense colony so that they're effectively processing through that food waste. That's a okay. great question. Yeah, because I've seen some videos of, of like vermicomposting. And I mean, it's a little bit scary. There are so many worms in one space. Um, yes. Are you a Harry Potter yeah. fan? Yes. It makes me think of the scene in the first movie where yes. the kids all drop into the plant that's wrapping around them. Like mm -hmm. a very healthy and full worm compost bin. You just pull your hand out and it's teeming with worms. Okay. And, and that's what makes it a little different from our little friendly earthworms we see on the sidewalk after a rainstorm. Yeah, because also as a kid, I used to dig up the worms and play with them. 
So <laughs> yeah, but never that many, I guess, in one go. Always just one or two. It would be a little traumatizing to find that many, maybe. <laughs> I think so. Particularly that color. Um, I think I'd be a bit scared of them. I haven't seen the ghost worms yet, but they really are a little translucent and a colony worm. Ooh, so I'm thanks. sticking to the red wigglers. I'm not sure I want to meet another variety of worm friends right now, but mm. when I do, I'll have to report back on how scary they were. Okay. So I guess why should we be vermicomposting? Verma, verma why is it so hard to say? Red wriggler is harder, and I haven't asked you to repeat that yet. So. <laughs> I think that honestly brings up an important point, Gabriella, of accessibility. So we're mm -hmm. not vermicomposting because it's a big word. It sounds scary and it sounds messy. So I told you I ran home and told my mother, we're going to start composting with worms, to which she clearly told me no. She said, this is going to be like when you cleaned the kitchen with vinegar and it smelled. And she said, this is my home and I want it to be nice. Someday you'll have your own home and it can smell like vinegar. And she's a very supportive mother, but you know, that that was her home, that was her space. And I did clean it with vinegar once and it, it did smell quite atrocious. Everyone's saying it's just the same as other cleaning products. It's not, it's a little stinky. It's a little stinky, I haven't gotten, I'm I'm trying the new orange peel vinegar mix. So we'll see if that's the solution to my vinegar woes. Um, but, you know, I respect my mom for that decision. And so naturally I asked my grandmother and she bought me the worms and the bin. And I set it up under my bin, um, uh, in a bin, under my bed. So in my bedroom, in a, in a big Rubbermaid bin. And for months before my mother knew about it and I told her, Oh, I got the worms. I've had them for six months. Like you didn't know. <laughs> Obviously they're not too smelly or she would have found them. She would have found them. How rude of me also. Like so sorry in hindsight for the things we put our parents through. Um, but it's also the perfect anecdote, right? She didn't find it. It wasn't smelly. And, and some of my experiments with the earth were sticky and smelly, but worms, despite their reputation, we're not. Um, they do breathe through their skin, so they need a damp environment. And so what a worm bin in the home looks like, and in this case, not some big grand home, I'm talking a college dorm, my bedroom as a child, under the sink. What it looks like is I love to use shredded newspaper to start it, but not so many people are getting the newspaper in print. And um, But if you're able to go to a recycling facility, you can typically still get print newspaper. So I recommend and use that because that's what I know and and um, I, I love the results and a bit of cardboard as well, which cardboard is always easy to find. So you shred that and dampen it and the worms actually live in that. So people think worms live in dirt, but when you see the dirt in a worm bin, what it is, is it's what's already been processed. It's the dirt that those worms have created. It's their castings. And so they're eating that food. So you would just put under that pile of newspaper, not too much. So composting isn't going to, vermicomposting in the home is not going to eliminate your food waste. And on a farm, a big, hot, smelly compost pile can, and that's mm -hmm. powerful. So I'm not knocking or discarding 
traditional composting or composting facilities, right? So many, so many cities now are composting at scale. That's magnificent. But I think when it comes to our home, we want to feel connected to the earth and creating soil from your own food waste, especially as I, I don't have a garden. I don't have any green space, you know, I have, I have a little condo and it's two bedrooms and two bathrooms, and there's not even a windowsill planter. <laughs> we have no earth involved in the little bit that is our home. And I love where we live, but knowing that you cannot own or touch any ground in my second story condo and create dirt and earth, I think is very powerful and, and, and almost sort of a kind of poetic beauty to it, right? And um, that has always brought me great joy, especially in university in the dorms, which was when um, vermicomposting really took off for me when I found other kids who were a little bit of environmental nerds, the kind of people who like to dig up worms, right? Um, and they all wanted to try doing it and all doing it in our bedrooms and get permission from the university. We actually got permission this time. Harder to go around the nose of your university than your mother, I think. <laughs> Depends how permissive your parents are. Mine was not a permissive parent, so it was much easier. <laughs> um, but th that was just magical to me to create dirt. I don't know what your living situation is like at home as you're navigating these changes, but does that sort of spark something in you to think about creating your own dirt? Yeah, I mean, I have I've I've talked about this once before with another guest, but never in much detail. So I'm curious about it, but I'm also like worried about it because um, I mean, in some ways it, it requires more than just me in the household to to look after it, I would imagine because I live with my partner. We live in a we live in an apartment, so it's not we do have a shared garden space. I do have a balcony with some plants on it, but I don't have like, I don't have a, a composting area. I don't have, as, as you said, um, I don't have a lot of green space that is just my own for me to do whatever I want with. I couldn't yeah. start a composting bin in my no shared garden. No pile can be happening anywhere near you or your partner's space. Yes, so exactly. Yeah. At our program in the university, you did need your roommate's permission. Mm -hmm. So we needed them to sign off and understand, and you couldn't just sneakily do it like I did. Um, as long as you don't put too much food or water in there, these little worms don't smell and are minding their own resilient business. Mm -hmm. So when we think about the food chain, you know, food cy cycle, um, you know, now we're picking up all our chains and tying them back together into circles. But in, in, in grade school, primary school for us, it was the food chain, right? At the bottom, we have our decomposers that eat and break down waste. And those are some of the most resilient um, organisms on our planet. They include cockroaches and fungus and all those sort of things that we think of as icky. But vermicomposting... Um, you know, if, if you're someone who kills plants or loses their house keys, I'm both of those things, right? <laughs> the concept of that you're doing a project that can't die is exciting. And worms don't die easily. Okay. They that's... can, but it's very hard. 
it can get really dehydrated and and look all but dead. And then you spritz them and you're like, I forgot I had these. I'm so sorry, living beings. I'm so sorry I disrespected you. And you perk them up and, and they're all right. Okay, it's, that's good to know. As, it's not as fickle or fragile as creating like a beautiful little biome or keeping a snap fly dragon that you got from someone who knows you love the environment and then you feel terrible you killed it. It's it's not like that. Um, I would say with about one hour of education, anyone could be ready to start and maintain a vermicompost bin in their home. The caveat there is it's not going to be at scale. It's not going to be for all your food waste, but it is going to be a beautiful little project and little way you can engage with that system. And I think it'd be a really beautiful point for for hosting friends, um, for speaking about the environment to your children, to children in schools, partners, grandparents. Um, I think there are so many people who would love the idea of um, a little living companionship that's very hard to get wrong. Um, once a week is enough to check in. Um, so for example, over breaks in the school year, such as um, spring break, which was one week, or Thanksgiving, which was a long weekend in the U.S., typically like four to five day holiday. There didn't need to be a holiday planned for the vermicompost bins. And then for a longer university break in the summer, there would be a member of the greenhouse staff and we'd put all the bins in one room, almost like group babysitting, and they'd check in there once a week and maintain them um, over the summer. Um, you can also vermicompost at scale. So you, someone could have a big, a big, um, massive, and, and the bigger things are, the more likely they are to be smelly. Mm -hmm. It's like our laundry pile, right? Like the laundry pile is not a big, smelly, scary thing unless it becomes a big, scary, smelly thing. So it, it, it should be just fine. And mm -hmm. vermicompost bins have a lid. So they're much tidier than other aspects of our life and built environment. <laughs> they, I, I always say try it. And mm -hmm. if it goes horribly wrong, whoever you got the worms from will typically be, be more than happy to, to recoup them and say, I think we need to get a little bit more comfortable with saying, man, I tried that and it was not for me. And I tried it responsibly, right? And instead of never trying it, say... I'm going to try this. And if it's not for me, I'm going to make a post, a social media post and say, hey, does anyone else want to try worm composting? I realized it's not for me. Uh, you know, I, I did the small startup costs, ready to go, come and get them. Mm -hmm. And that's what we had. We had a phone tree. So that's how we got approved by the university. We literally had a phone tree like organizations used to have, um, or I don't know, youth sports like um like my little baseball coach when I was a kid had a phone tree. And so if practice was canceled, the coach would call like the assistant coach and all like like the mom with the last name that started with A. And then they would each call two people and we'd all know practice was canceled like before social media and, and like e regular email practice. Um, and so that's what we did with the worms. We said, here's who we're going to call. You know, I was on that list. We're going to call Liz. If it's a vacation, we're going to call the janitor who I talked to and like I got him on board with me. <laughs> and we just got all these people's phone numbers and gave it to residential services and said, look, like, here's all of our cell phone numbers. 
you will be able to contact someone about these worms. Like we, we stand by this and, and we never had to activate the phone tree. It was all okay. Mm. It's always best to have a plan. Um, My cell phone's probably still on that list. If something goes south at Michigan State University with worms, I, I, bet, I bet my ringer would go off. <laughs> That's so funny. You get a call and they're like, can you come and pick these worms up? And you're like, oh, is this the family I made? Um, I wouldn't say that. I would be like, yes, I'm on my way. And I'd probably <laughs> like call an Uber driver and be like, I have an interesting proposition. <laughs> like, how do you feel about worms? Because I'm going to talk you through this on the phone and we're going to, you know, I'm, I'm very committed to my little colony. Um, so you mentioned that everyone brought them to one area um, during uh, yeah. the holidays and things. So how big, yes. how big is it? Where do you keep them? Yes. So they need a dark environment. So it's not going to be a clear bin, a dark four-sided bin. I like the plastic bins. There's the brand Rubbermaid here in the U.S. And I don't know um, if they're international or a, a similar um, thing, um, but you have a little bit of give and you drill holes in the side of it near the top to aerate the worms and drill holes in the top. I would show you my worms are at the babysitter. Oh. So when I had a baby... I thought we are going to be keeping a baby alive and I have a dog, quite a task. And so my neighbors had always been fascinated with my worm composting. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, we're going to have this baby. Would you like the worm composting system? And so it's, it's with them and they've learned it. And I have no guilty conscience over abandoning any living organisms because somebody else is learning with them. So I just want to share that too. Like it's, it's not for waste. Someone else is learning them and, and people are busy. We might have different cycles. There might be parents who want to try it and are, are worried that, you know, they, it's not going to be maintainable for their family, but they should consider, you know, maybe that's something you would say yes to Gabriella. Oh, mm -hmm. you know, your neighbors say, Hey, look, we haven't set up, smell it. It's not stinky. Like, is it your turn? Do you want to do it now? Um, and so, um, yeah, so there's, there, I wouldn't do bigger than like, you know, like a storage bin that has all your kids' sports equipment is kind of a big bin. So mm -hmm. someone who wanted a bigger system could do that or somebody with a garage or a backyard could do a really big system. And, but in the university we had, um, an 18 gallon tub. So, um, like 30, 40 liters. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Probably okay. making that up. I don't know. Like this, like this big. That big? Okay. <laughs> this big. Okay. And um, they, they prefer depth. So you're not going to want mm -hmm. something super shallow because you bury the food waste. You sort of lift up the newspaper and toss it under. So even for people to think about getting their hands dirty, like you don't even need to really get your hands dirty. It's just wet newspaper. You know, it's not something. Um, now that I'm a parent, I know all about dirty things. Have a dog at all about dirty things, and and this was not a dirty thing. You just mm -hmm. pick up that paper and and toss under there. The college dorms was wonderful because what it was was really students making a cup of tea in their dorm room, so their tea bag, um, and then like apple cores, bananas. You could take those items, like grab and go from the cafeteria, and eat them in your room. So mm -hmm. it was a perfect, very small scale way. And the students had this kind of smallest size bin 
and it works really well. And I mean, you just see it start to turn from newspaper to soil. Um, and those castings, what's interesting is it's not just soil. Um, their properties are that they change water retention in your soil, that organic matter. And I don't know if you've heard of that, but like even if you're, you're potted plants on your balcony, right, mm -hmm. when you're buying soil for them or they're coming potted in soil. Mm -hmm. A lot of our potted plants need soil that's um, got to filter really well, right? So we don't drown our plants. Mm -hmm. um, but sprawling spaces, um, Melbourne is a is a perfect climate example. So is San Diego, California. Um, we want things at scale that can absorb water when there is water and save it and use it and return it to the earth and be part of our water cycle and not run off. Um, and castings actually increase the water retention of soil by 30%. So if we think about even like grass, grass is the worst of all things we could put in the environment, okay? Someone else can come on and talk about it, but it's not good. Even if we were throwing it out on the, on the community public grass, it could be watered less and there'd be less um, runoff and evaporation from the soil there. And um, there's a huge interest of vermicomposting in really arid regions. Um, Saudi Arabia has a big interest because of soil loss and soil quality and nutrition um, of the soil and their ability to grow things in a very arid climate and food security. And if they were to vermicompost the scraps of this imported food that they're consuming in this country, those food scraps could then become soil and soil and soil to create and farm more and more of their own foods naturally. Um, hmm. So. So you mentioned as well that you can't compost all of the food that you produce if you've got a small container for them. Correct. I guess approximately how much and like what kinds of foods can you put in there? Yes. So I would say... Um, a half systems, United States for all of our wacky things. Why did we have to go and also mess with measurements? Don't we have enough issues? A hand, a small handful of food um, or half a cup once a week or every other week when starting out. Okay. Because you can look and see how much of it is gone and you can add more. Mm -hmm. When we get something new, we're excited to use it, right? Whether it's a hair product or we're just spraying that everywhere, every day, trying to figure out how it works. So we just can't do that. We can't get too excited with our newborns, just little by little. Mm -hmm. The colony itself, too, of worms will reproduce and grow. So when there's a lot of worms in your bin, they can eat more food. So I'd say up to um, this much, like two handfuls. Mm -hmm. um, a week in a smaller bin that's about this scale. So about the size of a, um, I don't know, bigger than my head, a couple of, <laughs> and, um, a bucket, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. But you know, like, a uh, a handful in the bucket a week. Mm -hmm. So that's obviously not all of our waste, but if we have an apple a day, um, a cup of coffee in the morning and a cup of tea at night. That's really lovely. So tea um, and coffee are wonderful for composting. Coffee shops is somewhere really cool. Like the coffee shops with the hipsters 
should absolutely get on board with worm composting. You know, mm-hmm. if it's not going to turn people away, they would have a really wonderful time at it. Um, what you're not going to want to put in there is meat, dairy, protein is a no. Um, oils, strong oils. So if you have leftover olive oil in your pan or something, um, isn't a good fit. Um, and then also are onions, garlic, and orange peels. So it's, um, and we kind of, as we're sort of learning more about gut health too, like in the human body, right? Like things that are superfoods that balancing our bacteria and our hearty stomach, like they're not kind to worms. <laughs> so, uh-huh. um, it doesn't sound like it'd be very comfortable to have your skin covered in onion peels and it's it's a little bit too intense for them same with orange peels so just citruses onions and you're wanting to not overdo it it doesn't mean you can never do it um Mm -hmm. cardboard egg cartons are a wonderful habitat for worms they just love the shape of that same with pineapple tops like the top of your pineapple is really um like dense and gritty or like the top of celery leaves but the worms love to like burrow and be through there um and then it sort of provides this structure right that's somewhere they can hang out and eat and so like something i would do is sort of lift the pineapple top and then throw the food scraps under there and that's kind of where they all um that's kind of where they all gathered okay I love this idea of like a little cafe for worms underneath the pineapple top though. Yes. It's a little, I'm like, it's, it's fun. You're like, Ooh, I, I did something they liked, you know, it, it's kind of, I would say it's all the fun of sort of that animal stewardship. I think there's mm-hmm. a little bit of all of us that wants to live in a farm and have goats and live happily ever after. And yet here we all are in tiny apartments, right? Mm-hmm. So this captures a little bit of that whimsy and connection with the earth in a way that is sustainable and not in the green sense of the word sustainable, but in the lifestyle sense of the word sustainable. Mm-hmm. You can actually do it. We love to travel, right? We love to visit friends. We love to sleep in if we don't have kids, you know, or we love to wake up early and go on a magnificent hike and we're not necessarily like committed to keeping things alive (laughs) um and again that's why i don't have them right now like i said my neighbor was like hey do you want a square in the garden this year for you and the baby to do together and i said i dream of nothing more but i know i can only keep two things alive right now and i have the baby and the dog so i have to say no and it breaks my heart um but sustainability in our life and our home management practices is so important for our peace and that sense of belonging and happiness and calm. And so I hope for composting opens that door to more people who maybe, maybe they feel bad that they bought one of those kitchen top compost bins and it was really stinky and they threw it away. Guilty. In, in the trash, right? Yeah, I did exactly. I did that exactly. I had it in the kitchen. I filled it. I left it there for months. I didn't do anything with it. (laughs) (laughs) Laughing like too loud for recording. I'm so sorry. That's okay. It was awful. Um, Yes. And then eventually I put the whole thing in the bin. Um, Yes. And then afterwards our council actually got composting bins that they take away. So fabulous. Perfect. Um, Beautiful. Yes. 
much happy with that solution. Um, but it's not your fault. <laughs> it was never a solution to put living things that are supposed to be far, part of a food cycle in a clean human kitchen countertop. Like, mm. If we really pull it apart, mm -hmm. like compost, hot, stinky farm, mm -hmm. <laughs> tiny <laughs> apartment with my partner, like not really a compost place. Yeah. Um, and I, I think we owe that accountability to our partners in living, right? We, we can't be just doing stinky things all the time without consulting them and and flies and pests are a nuisance um worm composting bins can get like mites or flies if there's too much food because it's like that you're just keeping a bin of of old food like of course it's going to attract insects and that's why just starting really slow is key and mm. in that case the worms are managing it for you. They're going to eat and break down that waste. So it's not going to be food sitting around. It's going to be part of, it's, it's going to be covered in worms, which could sound gross or it could sound just really exciting. Mm -hmm. And we tried to do in university a lot of work around attitudes towards vermicomposting. Because if it works and the hippie science worm digging kids like yourself Gabriella are all excited to try it or e even you're a little hesitant to try it right you don't want mm -hmm. to bring some stinky thing home yes after my first experience <laughs> right you've you've been burned um mm -hmm. uh, and rightfully so and then there are people who really don't like insects or or have a phobia of the outdoors or trash and smells or stickiness you know there's a lot of unpleasant sensations that we can associate with worms but I hope we associate it with things that our generation loves like escaping reality and becoming goat farmers on a happy little farm or a cup of organic sleepy time tea at night right we love those things those are seen as very clean and pure and wonderful and so if we sort of incorporate vermicomposting and that mental category with the fresh cleanliness and joy of having our little friends, um, that's really the goal. Um, so I, it's it's really fun to get to talk about it. And I know past guests have talked about it as well. Mm -hmm. But I hope that everyone sort of has a, a fresh perspective on why it works for them, why it works for which stage of life they're in. And and that's why I love, I love being transparent, you know, <laughs> They're not here. I cannot be responsible for them at this moment. Um, but I, I pinky promise you can. I, mm. I, um, we can't do everything at once and, and live sustainability in a wellness sense in our personal mm. life. And so I, I think vermicomposting allows us to ebb and flow without the permanency or commitment. Um, a hot compost pile in your garden, you also really have to commit to to adding things, to turning it, to making sure it's not just a pile um, where vermits and different rodents are coming and like causing havoc, you know? And it takes like oh, being on a farm and being an early riser and, and being connected with with nature. And, and most importantly, I wanna acknowledge um, all native peoples have practiced this for years. There, there was no waste bins, there was no waste collection system. So this isn't new. That's it's um, 
it's just forgotten and misplaced. And we also, we forced it out. It's not compatible with the apartments that we live in now, realistically. It's not compatible with not having green spaces. So are we going to stop having apartments anytime soon? Probably not. But could we each try our hand at that and really enjoy it as an enhancement to, you know, like your community's compost system? Yes. And it's not a replacement for, I, I think, you know, the city of San Diego is full of people who love the environment and the ocean. And we just passed citywide food scrap composting. Um, so I'm excited. And because I don't have to keep anything alive, I just have to throw it in the bin, which I know I can do. It's like diapers. I'm ready. Um, but I, I just want us to practice a little bit more of you can have a little piece of that sustainability dream mm -hmm. um, and a little piece of honoring the Native people who've cared for our land and their history and and acknowledge that reality of like, hey, we're kind of stuck in these apartments. Like these are our four walls right now, but we can still be be a piece of creating soil, remediating our environment. Mm. Something I'm surprised, I was thinking about this, I'm surprised we haven't hit this yet. If you want to start your own composting, I guess, where do you start? We've talked about the size of the bin, but... YouTube, baby. You start <laughs> on YouTube, okay? Mm -hmm. What? Same for parenting, having a baby, just YouTube. I tell somebody, anyone who's coming to help with the baby, if you can't figure out that high chair, just put the brand name in YouTube. So on YouTube, I can send you a link to a couple of my favorites. Mm -hmm. um, everyone does it a little differently, and I love that. There's no wrong way. But what you'll need is the worm. Mm -hmm. So um, whether it's a nearby farm store, organic garden, they can actually be shipped in the mail. So they'll be sort of in like a dried out moss. Um aka like half dead like you'll think they're dead but they're not you just add water and food and they sort of spruce right up um so in the united states i use um, uncle jim's worm farm <laughs> this is a wonderful shipping program but it's also best to ask people mm -hmm. um and maybe people can share like in the comments or with your community if they are vermicomposting and if if they have some worms to share because the worms do reproduce so you um, can take like half of them out of your bin and put them in a friend's bin. And then you'll, you'll decrease the amount you're feeding them by about half. Tell your friend to start really slow, but, but you can do this. It's also important to note they're a non-native species. So we shouldn't dump our worms out. Um, they'd probably just die in a city. So I, I don't really think we're going to start a revolution of non-native worms but i i better say that better say mm -hmm. my bit uh, we we shouldn't introduce them in nature where they aren't already but um in plastic bins they're going to be just fine they reproduce very effectively like most of our non-endemic species do um and so you, you really only need one i mean i was able to put them in 23 elementary schools and not purchase any worms. Those all came from that worm bin under my bed that my mother didn't know about. Wow. That sourced all the worms for 23 schools in Los Angeles. Um, just separating them by half. Um, that's wild. I never thought of that. I was like, where did we get the worms? And I'm like, oh my goodness, we always split a bin by half. It's the, it's the, 
original generation that you started with? I, I guess. I mean, they, um, the other nice thing is like worms um, lay eggs and die naturally in the soil mm-hmm. too. Um, so they're going to die anyways. You probably didn't kill them. Okay. And they probably also laid eggs. So you're probably okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. When it comes to like managing something alive, they're, mm-hmm. they're very hardy and they're designed to do that. Um, it needs to stay damp. So mm-hmm. I, I recommend getting newspaper um, or leaves if you're somewhere where deciduous trees um, will shed their leaves. That can be a great time of year to start your compost bin. Um, not that it has to be. Um, and then you'll just keep that damp. So I like to use a spray bottle, um, a, a water spray bottle um, to keep it damp. And then it was college. So we would like lose these things and be lazy and we'd like kind of stick our hand in some water and spritz it on that way right and um, <laughs> stick our hand in the sink and shake some on there and it just needs to be damp enough for them so that they can um, breathe but it should be like the consistency of a damp sponge when you give the vetting a squeeze so if it's like soupy in there that's too much we can drown our worms but the hardy ones they're going to be hiding somewhere on the sides they're going to be all right your your bin will likely pull through um you can usually rectify anything um, I'll make sure that I'm always available and open, um, but just asking another composter or Googling it, help, I flooded my worm bin, just Googling that, you're going to find answers. You know, we live in an age rich with information. And so the secret of how to do it is not really a secret. It's it's more so that encouragement and that human connection of, hey, I, I know you can do this. I promise you. Um you could tell your partner I said so. It's not going to be like that countertop bin, mm-hmm. right? And so okay. they're best stored somewhere dark. So under the bed actually was really practical. Under your desk, which can be really fun. A lot of us are still working from home or have stayed working from home in the United States. Um, and so I have a dedicated desk. Um, and so that could be kind of a fun way to bring your friends to work every day. <laughs> um, in the Under your sink. So where, and like the pipes are, a lot of people store their cleaning supplies there. You could have a worm bin there, and it's a very practical choice under the sink to just dispose of things. Um, and um, I also wanted to share that anything that we choose to compost instead of put into a landfill, so in the trash. In the trash, as it's compacted and rot, it's going to release methane gas into the environment. It's a very potent greenhouse gas. Um if we let that food, instead of rotting into gas, be eaten and excreted by worms and go into a garden, we're keeping that methane out of our environment, which is remarkable and, and not by doing less, right? Um, mm. It's hard to give up the things we shop for. It, it can be hard to switch to taking public transit. If it takes 45 minutes longer for your commute, you're probably not going to switch to public transit. Um you know, you might not be able to invest in a sustainable toothpaste subscription at this time, but you can put less stuff in the trash can and just put it in this bin under your sink, mm-hmm. you know, like that you probably can do. And and the worms are taking care of it. So it's it's their job. It's not your job. Um, and, and for me, that sort of carefree nature of it made it, it really adaptable. And if college students, university students are committing to it with success, that's also a pretty good sign of societal acceptance, right? Yeah. Uh, 
So um, is there another practice that you do? So you mentioned that you're not currently doing it in your own home because you only have right. can only keep two things alive. But is there something <laughs> that you do at the moment um, that, um, you know, you do regularly to improve your home or your garden? Yes. So for in our home right now, something that we've really committed to is buying less when practical and fun. So we're not hurting ourselves. If the kid needs a thermometer, we are going to Amazon Prime. The thermometer is arriving at our doorstep. Okay? We're not perfect. But for all other products, high chairs, clothing, um, we're not buying those items for our child. Um, if we do have to buy them, we're buying them secondhand. But we're mostly um, just letting people know, hey, we love hand-me-downs. And if you tell somebody you are willing to accept their baby junk, it will not just be, it's never just one high chair. It's, it's everything. It's trunk loads of stuff that's perfectly good and used for such a short little time span in their teeny tiny little life. Um, so for me, I felt sad as an environmentalist. and Like I haven't been doing enough on my parenting journey. I really wanted to use reusable diapers um, or nappies, whatever, the lingo. Um, and I really, really was committed to using glass baby bottles. Um, I didn't want to use plastics. Um, well, my childcare um, had no glass allowed whatsoever, no exceptions. And um, stainless steel bottles, you just you can't see how much milk's in there. So it's not a practical choice. And for my partner and I, um, washable and reusable diapers were not an option. We needed to use single use. And so I sort of felt like, oh my goodness, have I thrown away all caring about sustainability in my personal life? I'm not practicing anything I preach. Um, and then I thought about all the things that we were not buying for this kiddo and all of the clothes and all of the, I mean, they just go through things. They're a different size every two weeks. Uh, <laughs> first, they're not allowed to be in things. Then they have to be in little things. So they're engaged. Um, you know, the car seat, they can't not have a car seat. Like there's legitimate safety concerns here that we need to be mindful of. And I'm just really proud to not be part of, I saw this in a nursery on Pinterest. I have to get this seasonal decoration. Um, we did really, really minimal decorations for Christmas holiday this year. And it was so fun. We have this like ceramic fish in our dining room over our table. And so I put a Santa Claus hat on him that we sort of made out of like um, leftover paper bags mm -hmm. and made a little, um, so he was Santa Claus. And then, so of course he had a little reindeer pulling Santa Claus fish that I made from a paper bag. And the baby just loved it. Like she pointed at Santa every morning. It was so sweet. And it was so nice to think about the fact that like, we didn't make anything this season that is gonna be in another landfill. We didn't say yes to any plastic thing that was going to boost our spirits and then turn into waste. And so, sure, there's other failures in our parenting journey of choosing to live sustainably. But there's some wins there, too, that aren't to be discounted. And I think 
there's such a split among environmentalists that either it's our job, we have to solve everything with our lifestyle, or it's all the fault of these companies and the government. The government allows plastic, we're doomed anyways. The government allows corporate pollution. Well, well, it's both. We are the government, right? There's a little bit of truth to both sides of the coin. And so I think participating in what you can, um, my home would, would not be a managed home. Home management would be lacking if we were having unwashed, reusable diapers around. That's mm -hmm. a hard no. We yeah. could not exist that way. And so we didn't pursue that path. No one had the time or energy to do it. We don't have wash and dryer here. Um, I couldn't go up and down stairs very well as I was recovering from surgery. I had a cesarean delivery with my baby. And I didn't realize like you, it really hurts to walk up and down stairs if that happens. And we're second story. So just getting a laundry for me was always a huge barrier. And I thought that me, the independent woman environmentalist, was going to be washing all these little uh, reusable nappies. And I, I would love to. And, and everyone I know who's done it had a wonderful experience. And so I can support that while still not being afraid to admit on a, uh, as a sustainability guest on a podcast that I used, I use single use. Um, and I think introducing more of that balance creates, um, creates that community for us. So it's, it's not a daily thing I do. Um, I think as you become part of a family unit and less of an individual unit, fewer and fewer of your rituals sort of stay on the agenda. Um, so I, I don't have one particularly that aligns. Yet I, I try and wake up and, and take deep breaths and, and be grateful and brush my teeth, not skip brushing my teeth. Make sure I brush my teeth before I pick up the baby. So that's not going to be revolutionary for any of your listeners. But I hope that thinking about seasonality, right? It was the holiday season. We thought, what could we do? And we got used gifts for each other. And it was wonderful. I got used cowboy boots for the baby and my husband. And instead of getting the baby a bunch of things or my, my spouse and I getting each other a bunch of things, I said, what if you and I both get her something and, and don't tell the other one what it is? So we have like, it was a surprise. And, and we love that, you know, and, mm. and she got her little surprises and we felt surprised and, and it it didn't feel like anything was lacking unless mm. waste was generated. So I'm, I'm learning to count those as wins and not see myself as an egregious failure to sustainable parenting. No, I love that you're so, I get, I'm not sure what the word is, but I guess merciful for yourself, like forgiving, <laughs> not merciful. A little bit of compassion, self-compassion. Compassion, exactly. Yeah. Um, and doing the best that you can do. That's and I think that makes it so much easier for our audience as well. And also for me, because uh, I try to do things, but I'm not always very good at it, um, you know, to improve our planet. Um, just, yeah, doing our best and being compassionate when we're not. Yes. You do your university homework. You're mm -hmm. considerate when you ride public transit, right? I mean, we can't do it all all at once. Are you supposed mm -hmm. to be eating an organic apple while you do that? And then... <laughs> bring it home and compost it on your countertop you were trying to and mm. it, it didn't work well and, and that's okay to mm. experiment with and assess things just like we got to do when we were smaller children right we got to bring home these little projects or trinkets and and sometimes we realized hey if we don't like that or hey mom I'm, I'm not responsible enough to have that 
Um, and, and we need to give ourselves that grace as adults to sort of um, go back and forth a little bit on some of those things. Mm. Uh, so we do have a few questions from the audience. Okay. Um, so our first question is um, it's basically just a list of foods that they want to know if they can put in the bin. Yes. Okay. okay. Eggs? No. Okay. Even the shell? No. <laughs> That's what I was waiting for. The shell is wonderful for the bin. You don't need to like rinse it to ensure there's no residue. That's fine. Just crack the egg, drop the shell. Not only fine, but wonderful. Eggshells actually support the reproduction of your worms. So if you're getting ready or hopeful to separate your worms and create a bin for a friend, um, making sure you're adding eggshells is a wonderful way to support that um, nutrient. Great. Um, that's good because I use a lot of eggs and I eat the eggs, but then what do I do with the shells? Yes. And in, in, in balance, so if you notice mm -hmm. you're putting a ton of eggshells in there, fine. But don't, um, you know, like have a melon that you should have eaten sooner and didn't and it's all soggy and weird and you feel bad about throwing it in the trash or taking it down to the bin and not giving it to the worms. Like, that's fine. You don't need to give it to the worms. Okay. Not a piece of food waste is going to make it in there. So don't overwhelm your little friends with, with mm -hmm. your egg collection and some weird melon you've bought. Just accept the fact you committed food waste. Mm-hmm put it in the in the in the compost bin of your apartment and and be mm -hmm. done with it <laughs> what about garlic garlic is a no it's one of those oils that's just going to be a little too intense for them okay what about cooked food like pizza so cooked food like pizza we're going to want to avoid just because of the grease and dairy mm -hmm. bread is okay but you're going to want it to be more <laughs> more of a dead bread than a living bread right so maybe a crust that really wasn't your fancy, some seedy crust. You know, you got an avocado toast and boy, was it dry at the end. Fine. Um, but if, if it was like a greasy takeout pizza and you ate half of it and left it on the counter, like they, they don't really want that either. Let's stick to more organic materials for them. And I mm -hmm. don't mean organic like um, low toxic by organic. I mean organic like it, it came from the earth. Okay. <laughs> Because, yeah, that's another question I always had was like th things like, can I put like any food in there, like rice and potatoes? and So let's just think about it as um, how close to the ground did that food come from? So rice and potatoes, absolutely. If you've made your mashed potatoes with garlic and cheese and some whole milk just whisked together, that came from a cow <laughs> and the cow was not... You know, we don't milk the soil, you know. So so we want to stick away from animal and animal products okay. on this scale. It mm -hmm. doesn't mean you can't do it. There's some really cool, crazy people who I love who compost um, their cat waste with worms. Like instead of a litter box, a living litter box of worms, I'm obsessed with it. Obviously, I'm not experimenting with that. I already have the baby and the dog. We're not keeping a cat alive. We're not keeping worms alive. Um, but like you can be creative when you're a composter. You can come up with these weird new things. And they're not doing that for food production, obviously, with their cat. But think about litter boxes and litter and all the waste that is. Mm. I want people to be really inspired to like experiment a little and try things that sound a little crazy. 
Anyway, I digress. What were the other foods that this listener is curious about? <laughs> that was all the foods. Uh, we mentioned okay. a few other of the other foods already. Yeah, so, so... you're just going to want to avoid onions um, and citrus. They're both just okay. a little strong. And it doesn't mean all your worms are going to die. Okay. If you're making like a curry and you have onion skins um, going in with your carrots and stuff, like it's it's okay. Okay. Just, I guess, not... Don't make a yeah, lot of... Yeah, you're not going to want to make like a French onion soup and put yeah. all the onion scraps in there thinking, wow, the worms are going to have a wonderful week with this. They're not. Mm-hmm. It's still going to be there. And mm-hmm. you can pick it out and throw it in the bin later. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, another question was, how, um, how do I reduce the acidity levels in yeast coffee grounds? And you mentioned coffee was great before. So is the acidity too yes. high? Yes. So it's... It's all about balance. So we don't want to be putting just one thing in there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it couldn't be just coffee grounds. Um, This is really popular in hot composting um, where we're needing to have a balance of our browns and our greens is sort of what it's called. So we want the acidity to stay in check. Um, We want things to be rotting at the right speed. All right. So that's a lot to manage. In our worm bed, I'm going to say with coffee grounds, just having that bedding that is newspaper is going to provide some variety. If you're using coffee grounds, I would say about once a week, your coffee grounds to go in the worm bin. So mm-hmm. not daily. It's not on that scale. If you have a big system in your garage or you're really geeked on worms and you want to make an area in the side yard of your apartment complex, I will give you resources on how to get everybody's coffee going in there. But it might smell a little. So in my risk-free, under-the-sink version of composting with worms, we're going to do coffee grounds about once a week. Just like us, we wouldn't want to eat the same thing every day. We don't want to give them just one thing. So in addition to coffee grounds, I would do like maybe carrot or vegetable peels, like when you're trimming your um, like cucumber, potatoes, carrot, those peels make a really nice substance to kind of mix in with coffee grounds. And so it's not so homogenous for the worms. Hmm. Yeah, I think I'd get bored if I was just eating the one thing for a whole week. Especially if it were coffee grounds. <laughs> exactly. Not very fun. I would get so much work done, though. Um, I think that's all of our questions from the audience. Um, so we'll move Great. on to the open mic section. Um, so this is where you get to talk about something that you're passionate about, and it doesn't have to be related to vermicomposting. I love that. I'm going to make sure I'm plugged in for longevity. Okay. It's been such a joy to be able to join your studio. Um, yeah. Long distance here from San Diego. That That's really special for me. I think sometimes we can forget. I was under all this stress with San Diego composting their food waste. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I have to get in on this. I have to make sure I'm putting out some articles, like teaching people in San Diego what they can put in there. Um, just my mind was racing because this is happening in my community and I wanted to be there for it. And then so to hear like, oh, your complex has already done that. You guys have already done, our, our world is so full of different experiences. And I think we have to remember that with sustainability and let go of our fear of being wrong or being the only person who can do something. There are loads of us. There are loads of people who are underachieving there are loads of people who are overachieving there are loads of people who have found the balance and are peacefully existing and a happy life and a happy home 
And, um, you know, we're all in this together. So I, I really enjoyed getting, getting to hear that of, oh, you know, she, she does take her compost out to that bin now. Her, her problem's already solved. San Diego, we're next. It's going to be okay. I, I think should... we can get, do not use it. Do you not no, use no, your no. compost? I do. Okay. I do. I, sh- I was going to say, you should hear what the other councils in my area are doing. Not only, okay. so my council has a bin where everyone can put their green waste, you know, their vegetable peelings, their food waste. Um, my parents' um, council area has a bin that is provided by the government. It goes in the kitchen. They provide composting bin bags and you put all of mm-hmm. the food, meat, everything. And the council picks that up. Um, so there's no sorting it. There's no weird smells cause it's done once a week and man, that's, that's what I want. It's so lovely. And anything that you're not sorting is going to come with a level of waste too, because mm-hmm. people make bad choices and we put things in bins that we shouldn't. <laughs> it's called wish cycling when someone does that. I don't know if you've heard of that concept. So I have, but I'm pretty sure that, that the council has said you can put everything in there, like all food. That you can because they're using an industrial composter. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty amazing. They're basically, um, just think of like if you were just trying to make a, a massive, disgusting, like rotted sludge Ooh. is what they're making. Okay. And a lot of them are actually capturing the, the methane and natural gases from that. And using it as a source um, for transportation fuel at the municipal level. So cities or different councils are able to do that in some places. And that was a large area of research at Michigan State University where I went. Um, the, the bioreactor that would have mm-hmm. campus food waste in it, creating energy um, to run different campus operations. Um, so that's really wonderful. Worms at scale could break down like on a farm if you had a ginormous vat of them um could could break down animal waste yeah just fine or or um meat products anything like that um so it's just a distinction between like what's gonna feel clean at home Mm, (laughs) you could put anything in the worm bin they're worms they're gonna be fine it's kind of about you some of these choices the Mm. reason we don't do meat or dairy is because it's gonna smell foul in your home it's not because the worms like absolutely can't process it so that is a a really good distinction Mm. But yeah, don't worry. I do definitely use the composting bin. <laughs> you scared me. I was like, oh, sorry. you can do this. <laughs> you can do this. Um, They actually make these diaper pails um, mm-hmm. that are bins. And they kind of close in, in such a way. They have a skinny bag inside. And they close in such a way that the um, it doesn't smell like diaper in your whole house. And you take it out. Um, when they're newborns, they're going through diapers all the time. So you take it out once a day when they're newborns. Now my child's one, we take it out like once a week. And the way it closes, it has like sort of two trap doors and a skinny bag. So it just, it doesn't smell foul every time it opens and the room doesn't smell foul. Um, and that's what we're going to use for our food compost here in San Diego, because they're giving us the lane bin. They're giving us the little countertop bin with the little green baggie that, that, smells foul and I have a dog that I'm sure will eat it I'm sure it's not going to go well so what we're going to use is it's it's called like the diaper genie but a diaper pail and I was looking um they make compostable bags that are that height so Mm -hmm. I'm going to like do a little DIY thing and and maybe I'll get all the diaper moms out there 
composting effectively. <laughs> Maybe Great. that will be my next corner of the world. Um, for Open Mic, I wanted to share, um, you know, welcoming a baby into this world has been a huge part of my last two years. Um, but, but quite unexpectedly, I had a really difficult time with postpartum depression and anxiety. So I had this like adored, planned, easy baby. Um, and obviously I, I'm a researcher. Like I, I researched what it would be like to have a baby. I researched how you stay nice to your partner after having a baby, researched how to calm them in the night. I researched all these things and I just felt so terribly out of sorts and on edge the entire time. And like there were all these expectations and I couldn't meet them. And I also felt like I had this tiny precious thing and I couldn't keep it safe. Um, and that worry just, just ate at me. And I think because I'm a high performing woman, right? I have um, a master's degree and I'm well educated. I have a lot of economic opportunities afforded to myself and my family. I think people mostly thought like, oh, she's got this covered or like, Oh, people are just tired after they have babies, you know? Um, and so I wanted to just share with the audience that like part of my journey in sustainability has changed so much from having a baby because I thought that we would switch after the newborn stage to reusable diapers. But I also thought that I would want to get out of bed every day. And I was just, you know, laying there incredibly depressed and incredibly struggling to do my normal functions. Um, to take care of myself, to shower, to brush my teeth. Um, and so I really had to switch into sort of that survival mode of like, have I eaten? Have I showered? Um, have I visited the doctor? Like, am I coming up with a plan for this? Am I doing my therapy, my journaling, my routines that are going to build me back up to the person that I need to be now? Am I working on these new, um, like therapy modalities, right? So practicing not doing all or nothing or catastrophic thinking, like that takes time. You just sit down with your journal and write it out. You have to attend the Zoom meeting with the other parents and share, like, I did this. I know I didn't need to do this and get that community support. And, and that took time and that time meant. I was on Amazon.com supporting Jeffrey Bezos, which is like my least favorite thing to do. And that kept me going and was a sustainable choice for our family. My partner mm -hmm. needed that. You know, I was very into the glass bottles and my partner said, I'm not comfortable with that. I, it's scary to have a glass and a baby and I don't want to do it. Um, and I was struggling with this postpartum depression and anxiety. I wasn't doing all the feeding. He was doing a lot of the feeding. He was doing all of the cleaning. So if it was his preference to use in clean plastic baby bottles, I needed to, to share that accommodation as a partner. And then it, it didn't mean that I had failed as someone hopes to protect the world from microplastics and their child from plastic exposure. You know, it, it wasn't my first choice, but I, I didn't expect to have um, a physiological, biological complication that I did. And so I just hope that people know whether it's you're in university and you're struggling with anxiety or um, you're struggling with low self-esteem or just 
feeling depressed, going through a mental health diagnosis. I think we've really separated our social health from our environmental health. Um, and I just want people to know that they do go together and they are both awesome. And if your sustainability project is called like wake up and be a mom today for two years, it doesn't mean you stopped being someone who cares about the environment. It doesn't change your qualifications or your passion. Um, and, and there's different seasons of our life. I think it sparked a lot of creativity in me. I really think this diaper bin for composting is gonna make its waves. Maybe it's time to get a TikTok. We'll see. We'll see the best <laughs> way to get that information out there. Because mm -hmm. those things just trap in, they trap in the stink. And uh, stinkiness is what makes compost so hard to wrap our head around and so hard to get our partners and roommates on board with. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I just wanted to share that experience with my mental health. And it meant I couldn't, like, I couldn't be the advocate for the planet I needed to be. I needed to advocate for myself and sort of get back on track there and... I just want people to know it doesn't mean you're not doing enough if you buy regular brand dish soap. <laughs> um, it's, it's okay. <laughs> like we're all learning and growing together. And the more open we are with each other about those choices, the more we're going to affect real change. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's really, I really love your definition of two types of sustainability, which is sustainability of the world and the sustainability of your own lifestyle. And I guess, yeah, being, sharing your experience so that everyone knows that it's okay, that what they're doing is okay. I think that's really lovely. And thank you for sharing that. Thank you. I appreciate that. I felt really comfortable to share that. I think with you and your listeners and this sort of niche of home management, like our, our home is our environmental health, it's our mental health, and it's, it's a wonderful, sacred thing. And approaching it with honesty and openness is so important. Mm. Um, so if people want to find out more about you, um, where should they go? Yes. Well, my, my platform right now that I'm the most, um, responsive and visible on would definitely be LinkedIn. So that's just my first name, last name. So Liz, L-I-Z and my last name, Friesen, F-R-E-I-S-E-N. Try and always accept connections there. I'm always open to share my thoughts and feedback. At this time, I've not been using, um, Twitter as fully until they commit to protecting all users on the platform. To me, it's really important that anyone that approaches me knows that they're going to be met with um, kindness, compassion, respect for their racial identity, their gender identity, their pronouns, um, their religion, their beliefs. I It's so important to me to have a no bullying policy in my personal life. I think people forget that we're allowed to set policies for our personal life. So that's my personal life standard. Um, LinkedIn's a platform that's working well for me right now. And it's it's a great way um, to reach me. My connections are always open, as are my messages. Um, and it's somewhere that I enjoy to post from time to time, too, and, and read and share what's going on. It's also a place that can be intimidating. So just because you see someone doing well on LinkedIn, <laughs> don't panic. If it's not your system of choice, I'll give you my email. You don't have to use LinkedIn if it's stressing you out. But it's a wonderful way to reach me. Mm. We'll make sure we put those links as well in the uh, show notes so people can find you easily. Um, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It was really, really lovely to talk to you. It's been lovely to be here, Gabriella. Thank you so much for having me. 
Thank you. You've been listening to On The House, produced by the Household Management Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes like this from across 10 life management perspectives can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube, and any other podcasting apps available on your smart devices. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating, sharing, and subscribing to our channel as it helps other people to find it so we can grow and continue to bring you quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website, hm.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Gabriella Yastra. Thanks for tuning in.